yeah. the podcasts are mostly just sitting there for people to discover and talk about and use. Um, some people are talking to me a little bit, but hey, do you want to start advertising them? Do you want to start pushing them? Um, but I kind of, they're there for me to say, hey, here is like, here is information for you if you want it. Yeah. This is just me learning and talking and doing. You want this information, you can have it. It's there, it's available. Um, but I'm not yeah. about to, um, it's not designed as a commercial enterprise and therefore, and it's a hobby uh-huh. and therefore the idea of treating it commercially and trying to make it big and yeah. influence, it's just not what, how, it's just not how I want to behave. Mm-hmm. So it's as a result. Yeah. Uh, I think it's good. I think there's not many, well, I don't know. I've not, I've not seen many other sort of part, podcast of this kind of style not with like coaching parkour like academic study in mind there's a couple um i remember you saying actually you'll need to you'll need yeah to a couple of, like, so the the academic one is called this is me shouting out to a whole bunch of people now because we are live yeah the academic one is called um i can't see who's uh, on move, I am mover's ready. mindset and then you can't see what i can't see who's online if you if you go to facebook you can now um so there's one called movers mindset which is quite an academic one in some ways um he's trying to like craig's interest i did a podcast with craig is about presenting people in a really good light and then there's another one which um uh it's an american one called height drop which oh, yeah. kind of does the yeah. athlete's perspective. That's quite a fun one. Nice. Um, and then there's a new one by some kid in England who I don't know about coaching that I haven't really touched yet, but I'm aware exists. Yeah. Sam something. Copac. Might be Copac. Okay, cool. Um, so there are other, other podcasts out there. I'll need to that reverse mindset one. You'll do, uh, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll have a little look if you drop it. That one's kind of paywall. You have to pay for it. So, but some stuff's free. Nice. Um, yeah, so there's loads of them. I like listening to things. I'm live with Sam talking about parkour performance ish. That'll do. Eshy things wherever it goes. Ish. Sam being weird and creative. Oh, yeah. There you go. What does Sam do? That itself is a one-hour podcast. Sometimes, what's that? Sometimes the creativity just like I stumble upon it. I, I don't even mean it. I'll just you know be like, yeah, I totally meant that. Which is good because we actually I do want to talk about that because it's in the it's actually in the questions I sent you, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but what we're going to do is we're going to get started. So uh, for those listening, welcome to the AOR uh, Libs podcast. I'm Hedge. I'm going to sit down today with uh, my friend Sam here. Sam is a parkour athlete turned circus professional from Glasgow. Like many others, he found parkour back in the days of Jump London and Jump Britain. Since then, Sam's made himself a career out of movement and has been a full-time performer and coach for the last six years. <clears throat> so we've been full-time for the same amount of time, Sam. Must be, yeah. Yeah. Um, I like to start all these interviews uh, with the story of how people found parkour. Because I remember you, my earliest memory of meeting you is the Aberdeen Jam. Yeah, right. 
I do. But you were had been around for a while before then. What are your earliest memories of training parkour? Well, that is a good question. Um, I, to be honest with you, when I when I was even very young, um, and my first kind of moments with parkour, I would say were kind of grown up just outside the, the city. So I grew up in like a little cottage just outside Glasgow. Um, so I think this is kind of where my my lone tracer um, background began because I was the only one out there that was going that was doing parkour and I kind of started just you know jumping hay bales and um, you know climbing over fences and jumping on walls and I think it came from my gran to be honest which is is quite interesting because she had a different mindset and perspective on like how to use your environment which is quite cool. Um, she would, you know, go down the, the, the river and instead of it just being like a walk down the river, she'd like set up little rock mazes and she'd get climbing all sorts of trees. And um, so that was it. That was parkour before I even knew it was parkour. Um, and that's gone way back. Um, mm-hmm. But as you say, I, I found parkour in itself watching YouTube. Um, so it was Jump London, Jump Britain that kind of got me into it. And I started training it with a friend of mine in, uh, in Glasgow who also was really into it. Um, at that time, I was already kind of into movements, disciplines per se. I'd started trampolining when I was like 13. Um, my dad got me a garden trampoline and I, I went crazy with it. And I remember him looking out the window going, Sam, you're going to kill it yourself. Like, I taught myself how to double back on a trampoline before I had any tech or any I remember the any. early days, you were like the flip guy, way, way yeah, back. Yeah, 100%. Flipping has just been a part of me forever um and it's probably do you know what i always say that people don't expect to hear this but you know wwe and wwf wrestling watching like matt and jeff hardy on television doing like big somersaults off the top of cages and stuff and something about that made my, my eyes sparkle and i was like i need to learn to flip around wasn't so interested in the fighting side of things but i mean wwe is barely about fighting so. yeah so there you go well, maybe that's the performance and the acting side of things coming through as well Cool. Um, So to kind of dovetail into that, early on, you did a lot of content creation. I remember a couple of your videos did really go viral. Um, When you were in those early days, um, what was driving you about your parkour practice? What were you trying to create? What were you trying to do with it? I'd like to come up with some big fancy answer here. But the real answer is just it was fun. Uh, and that's it. And actually, it leads a lot of the things that I do. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't trying to have a massive following or anything because they were just, for me, it, it, it wouldn't have came to anything. Like, I don't think fame is something I want to chase. Um, but some of the things, because I think that probably reflected in the content was that we were having so much fun with it. So, you know, friends like my friend Daniel and my friend Scott and, you know, and then it was like after that it was Tim and David. And, you know, I just um, these people were just, yeah, really pushing the passion that I had at the time. So I'd go out and I'd train all sorts of crazy flips and like just like that garden trampoline, I would, I'd teach myself all sorts of um, movements that people were, were, were kind of saying was, at the time was pretty groundbreaking. Um, I wouldn't say so now. I mean, the level of acrobatics and in the parkour world is just, just woofed. It's, it's mm-hmm. overtaken, overtaken me. But yeah, at one point I was like, I want to go to the Red Bull Art of Motion. 
yeah, I want to compete. I want to compete. You know, I want to do the, the world championship thing, uh, Barclays championship. I wanted to do that. And then over the years, it just, I just lost that drive. So back mm-hmm. then, I think it was that. I think it was potentially the opportunity of, of competition at a later date or something that's a bit more acrobatic minded, if that makes any sense. Yeah, you were definitely like, I remember progress has always been a really strong value for you yeah. and improving and changing. Um, yeah. But that's, you know, it's a re- relatively familiar story. Um, and it's, uh, it's probably reflecting a lot of the way that the stories that I've gotten so far, which have been people talking to me about, they didn't have philosophies and ideas and concepts early days. They were mostly just like, suddenly there was something intrinsic about it all something that it was really ours like that's how a few of us two people started it was you yeah know. Uh-huh. Um, i understand that yeah um yeah and that maybe that maybe leads to another discussion uh, later on um but i think we'll get to that because i think you've um said that we're going to talk about that um, and right. i've got some things to say about that as well in terms all of right. so yeah. sam's doing an excellent podcasting technique where he's like um He's uh, making you all want to listen for more time. Hold, he's a, he's, he's a performer. That. He knows his narrative. You know, he knows how to do these things. He's holding <laughs> a little bit in his back pocket. Um, so let's sort of continue with the, the narrative a little bit, though. When did circus enter your life? Um, circus entered my life when my gymnastics coach at the time sent me uh, an audition to the Commonwealth Youth Circus. Um, the audition mm-hmm. that Chris Grant was involved in teaching um, and that was the first time I'd ever really thought about anything circus related so uh, actually it was I think it was Chris Grant that pushed me into uh, or a little bit he was like you should definitely do that and set something up uh, in a way as Chris is um, he's been a good mentor over the years um, yeah and then when, when I did it I put together a kind of acrobatic and parkour display that we had a little bit of, of a story to it, but not 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 really. And then we got in, so that was a, a good few months of training, a lot of days a week. Mm. Yeah, so it was. I remember it was all, really intense. It was really really intense. Yeah, we had like had to get through like all the manipulation side of circus, all the juggling, and the we had to do stilt walking and like, unicycle. And we just did I, I, near enough all the the, the circus disciplines that I could even think of. We, we, you know, mm-hmm. we had a week go off, um, but it was over a couple of months, so that was it. And when when we did the the performance, that was my first Scottish tour, so that was the beginning. Definitely. That ridiculous set. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> days. Oh, don't, don't. don't. <laughs> oh, this is all very old. Very I had more injuries with that set than I did actually doing my performance. Um, yeah. Yeah, so was, what um, was the difference between the way that you learned to perform as a circus performer and the way that you performed that got you um, viral success in the world of content creation? Say that one more time and slow it down for me. So, what is, so if you want to uh, create a parkour video that gets loads of views, Yes. 
there's a certain way about of going about it there are things that impress people yeah, yeah, yeah. but if you want to do a circus performance there's another set of things you've got to do that are a little bit different what is the difference between difference between those things oh i mean if i was to i suppose if i was to, if I was to give it a, a a difference i would say like context um and relativity i suppose to relate to someone rather than just to put out something um back in the day the videos were more led about like okay We'll, we'll see a trick that we know. We'll, we'll learn that trick and we'll put it into an environment that would be quite interesting. Um, parkour, people that train parkour will know that, right? You learn how to Kong and then you'll find loads of different ones that you'll maybe have a look at and try. So that was kind of what was happening back in the day. Um, now, if I was to put across more circus-related content, it would have maybe more of a story or more of a, of a bit of relativity to it. Take, for example, I posted up a video very recently of me copying a character's acrobatics from Tekken, and it got massive, it mm -hmm. got massive response. Although the acrobatics in the video is actually like in my mind, it's a bit subpar. Uh, it's not really super high level. Maybe some would argue, but um, it just got massive, uh, a massive response. Uh, and that just shows you it's not what you do; it's how you do it. Uh, yeah. So you were telling a story. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and kind of touching on people's like, oh, I remember that. That's nostalgia for me. Thank you very much, kind of thing. So if you can if you can do that, then I think you're doing well. And it, and it means like knowing your audience. Mm -hmm. uh, with, with circus, you need to know your audience. So who are you, what are you, who are you performing for? And um, what did they like in a way? Um, so uh, yeah, it's an, an engagement as well. We were talking about like value-led practices. Um, be engaging with your audience is, is important. Um, and you've got quite a few projects now that have involved engaging with your audience in various different absolutely. ways. Yeah, 100%. Um, it's almost like an annual thing now. It m m tends to be driven with the handstand community in mind, but yeah, every year I do a, a, a project for a couple of months um, and I really enjoy it. Good. Again, cool. we can talk about that later. Yeah, no, we'll get to all these wonderful things. Um, but I've now lost my questions. There <laughs> they are. Um, well, uh, I, okay, we'll, we'll turn the tides and we'll see. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no, 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 because <laughs> this, this leads on from the previous question, because it's still this, this thing we want to discuss, which is, yeah. um, so how do you see the distinction? So um, I've had this argument out with a number of my less experienced coaches, which is that just because something is good parkour in terms of the quality that parkour practitioners seek and share mm -hmm. compared to performance parkour in terms of what people want from you as a professional performer. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about, um, again, it's obviously it's about knowing your audience, but as a performer, clearly the best thing to do is not for you to do incredibly high quality parkour, it's to do something a little bit different. And I'd like to better understand what that thing is because I know it exists, but I can't tell you about it. Well, it it's interesting you say that because I think you're right. I think when you're putting together something, and again, it de it depends on the the show or the you know the thing that you're doing. You have to, like if you're doing a forty five minute piece, it's going to change. If you're doing a five minute piece, you do a forty five minute piece. So it always it's kind of like time and energy dependent. But which is it's why I find parkour very useful because a lot of the movements when trained properly are efficient. They don't take or they at least preserve energy in certain places. You know, it means that you can keep going for longer. So the, the parkour movement in itself is a bit of a spectacle, but it's also a bit of a buffer. 
Um, and I've, I've found that with, with mixing dance and, and different uh, discipline, other different disciplines into my, my performance, it gives you that buffer. You can't, <laughs> you probably could, but you tire yourself out. But I don't think you could tumble for 45 minutes and, and, and keep it up. You know, just keep going back and forth and back and forth. <laughs> we need that buffer. Um, um, so, yeah, you, it can be efficient, but I suppose if you take like Cirque du Soleil clowns, for example, or even any clowns, really, more, the, the, they, they often say that the clown is the most skilled in the troupe because he can not only do the things, but he can make them look like he's doing them badly. <laughs> so sometimes you have to use parkour and pretend like you're falling or... You know, you've got to add some sort of flair to it. So it's not just this base move that you've practiced to drill, to be able to do for function. You're now using that and you're now changing it in a way that becomes a bit more engaging. Um, yeah. So how do you think about that, um, that skill, that storytelling performance? Do you think of it as like the skill of performance? And when you think about it, do you think about do you think about approaching circus performance with a parkour mindset or do you think about parkour as one of the tools you can go to when building up your performances? I often do a bit of both, to be honest. Um, the, I, I usually stick to a, a rule when I'm doing a certain amount of performance, which is to, to have the audience kind of look around and explore the space they're working with. So parkour is a great way to do that because you can get around the space really quickly. So it can, I think it can improve your performance uh, in, unless you're doing a performance where it is just you're standing still and that's the point of it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that I always have the parkour in mind and I always have it kind of in the back of my mind, like, okay, can I put some in here? Um, especially when I, when I see my, see my environment. Let's, let's look at like walkabout performance, for example, uh, in circus where you're at an event um, and you've just got to engage with people and um, and do acrobatics in the space, parkour is incredibly useful because I'll find a railing, I'll find a bench or a wall and something, and that can be uh, a really good tool for me to spend a minute, a minute and a half on to get people looking, all right, okay, he, look what he's doing, and then you can then engage with them. Mm -hmm. so I, I find parkour is probably my strongest tool when I'm, when I'm doing walkabout performance, um, purely because it's site-specific. You can imagine but what about that idea of um how you think about the skills do you think about performance as a separate skill how do you like these ideas of um that clowning idea so do you think of the clowns as having a skill of making hard skills look easy or do you think that it requires those clowns have a mastery of a number of skills such that they can do these things how do you i'm trying to understand how your method of parkour fits into how you think about parkour I, I think it does. I think it's just an extension of it. Um, if I'm performing a certain movement to look a certain way or tell a certain story, yeah, it's just an extension of already trained and learned um, parkour. Um, there's not really much else than, than that. I can't really think of anything. Um, You're mostly just responding to requirements in an attempt to present yourself in a, the manner that works best for the problem that you're trying to solve. Pretty much, yeah. Um, and it can, it can be really interesting. And that's actually what is really nice about like act creation and using parkour in act creation, because you find things that you might not think about uh, if you weren't in that mindset. 
you're moving more from in my mind more from the function to the fashion and mm -hmm. you, you can you can create something that's interesting and new and that then becomes part of your content you know you got a new combination that someone's not necessarily thought of or seen before that gets a lot of response and that's quite that's quite nice for people to see that and, we're, and i think we're finding it harder and harder and harder to do that for our audiences now because of youtube being readily available and everyone's seen people are awesome so many times um, that you know it's this thing they go to sleep watching just clicking videos so they've seen the flips they've seen the you know round off double back flip on concrete and then they go haha right okay whatever you do is it doesn't give me that wow anymore so if you can do something and have that subtle change that they've not seen it doesn't have to be more difficult but something that's got a bit of a flavor to it something that's that's slightly different even better if you can relate to them in a way i can imagine that um so this this kind of whole thing that i'm talking around um comes from i recently got involved in uh it's like a discord server uh full of parkour practitioners from all over the world and they recently held a discussion about how to make money through parkour and they were talking about how there wasn't a lot of money in the parkour industry and i sat there with my house that i bought with parkour money going yeah there is and then they were like, well, no, what about like, you know, you're just coaching. That's different. What about other avenues? And I went, well, my friend Sam is also making a decent career out of performing. But I suppose I kind of recognize that they're talking about something a little bit different. But I did want to talk about different ways of making money through parkour. Um, so what I want to talk with you about now is how do you sell yourself and what you do in the world of performance? And how do you make a living? through what you do? I mean, if I was to say it in one word, variety. Um, keeping things very varied and trying to not pigeonhole yourself too much into one style of, of money making work, <laughs> if, if you want to say it like that. Also have, I mean, this is my opinion and my observation um, of that, what you just spoke about, which is the people saying that there's no money in the parkour industry. Uh, and I. I kind of relate it to, I've got a few friends of mine who are good friends of mine who are snowboarders and skiers. Um, snowboarding, probably more appropriate because it was quite new. And then it, it, it kind of gradually built up the, the reputation and, and had a lot of hype around about it. And I've always thought about how, as a snowboarder, as an amateur snowboarder, you can go and enter competitions, you can get prize money. You can get, you know, equipment. Um, and I had to think about that and I was like, what is driving that and how can you how can you give prize money out to people that are just starting, not starting out, but are just kind of getting into snowboarding at that level. And I think that's maybe where parkour struggles in that because of people's, this is again, this is opinion, but maybe it's because people have that restriction of like, oh, I don't want to sell it out. And I think it's still an underground sport and I want it to be an underground discipline. Um, yeah. And there's a lot so of people like, going on to that, so it's it's not letting the it's not letting the money kind of come in as natural as maybe it sh it could. Yeah. Um, for example, would you go to a Tesco sponsored parkour competition in your local town? You know, I, I, I immediately there's something inside my gut that goes, "Oh, I don't know Whoa. if I like that." Oh, I kind of hate that a little bit, and I think that's the problem. Whereas, like, you, I think in other sports they would go, "Sure, you're gonna bring, you're gonna you're gonna set that up. Let's do that." I'm up for yeah, that. Totally. All these kids that were teaching 
every single week and give them a platform to go and to show us good practice, to show us that they have that performance nature inside them and, and to, to kind of sh to share that with people. Um, yeah, I mean, um, there's, there's definitely a truism there, which is that if you want to let others control your platform, then you can have money. So, mm -hmm. I mean, Red Bull is probably the most obvious one, but, uh, uh, you know, T-Mobile, um, Airwhip have had gambling, uh, gambling uh, organizations sponsor their events. Yeah. Uh, in China, a tobacco company sponsored a round of parkour competitions at one point. Uh, there's, I mean, these bigger competitions have definitely yeah. moved in. Um, but I think what you're saying, and I don't, um, and I know you weren't trying to put value on it, but I think there are a lot of people in the parkour community who go, well, the reason that that happens is because they know that they're going to make more money out of appealing to kids mm -hmm. to buy their product. So the reason that Red, Red Bull Art of Motion would not exist if it didn't make more money than it cost. Mm -hmm. that's just how it works that's just the way that advertising functions as a concept yeah. so i suppose the the argument a lot of people would have when they heard that is um well if we have the power to make money for these advertisers surely we have a we have the power to make the money for what we do with more ethical sponsors but of course, yeah. that's a much lower process. But I suppose that doesn't answer the question of how do you make money? Yes, that's true. I mean, it kind of leads on to it a lot because I was listening to you there and that was that was kind of what I was going to say. I kind of have my own sponsors, like, but they're not sponsors in the way that you'd think of them. They're more just like agents that would find work and kind of slowly kind of push, push, push it in my direction. Um so they've been a massive help over the years to stay afloat and um, to, to, to make to make more money. So, for example, this the circus school that I started coaching at after the Commonwealth Games performances, uh, Aerial Edge supported me and their Aerial Edge artists um, sort of part of the business. Chris Grant was caught with, again, fantastic mentor, always kind of keeping me in his mind. And, you know, if something was happening, he would let me know yourself. You've done some things that have that have helped me go to the, the right places and, and, and meet the right people. Um, and then you had Circus Art Scotland, which was a part of for a while, and that was another kind of agent. Um, so those are kind those are kind of those are the, the places that, that I've made my money from in terms okay. of so how what what sources of money like can you give some examples of ways in which these agents have gotten new work and what sort of work that looks like. So if you want to, if you want to put it in, in sort of categories, I mentioned earlier, so you have like walkabout performance, which would be an event, a festival, a family fun day, uh, something that, that they just want entered on-site entertainment there. Um, that's kind of readily, yeah, readily available. You can, you can just watch it. You have the corporate things. I've done many corporate gigs. So I've done, Oh goodness! You know, my Chris Grant got Mercedes Benz back in the day, and actually, I think that was the start, and the, the that was where the dream began, kind of thing. You know, I, I was like, oh, my first gig was with Mercedes Benz. <laughs> like, what's going on? Let's let's continue this. Um, so there was that, which was a van launch. So you know, corporate van launch. They're trying to show off the product. We do some parkour. We show off the van. That's it. Um, but also like trade shows, um, dinner dances, stuff like that. It's all kind of that corporate, 
that corporate work that is, is available there, if you get the right person, it's always someone in the organization that there's just one person that's like, I want parkour. And mm -hmm. that's really great. It's just this one person. Everyone thinks they're nuts, usually. They're like, what do you mean you want parkour in the event? I'm just like, I want parkour. And then they're usually like, just say yes, 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 let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. And we need more of those people <laughs> because uh, they're excellent. Um, and of course, your 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 latest um, globetrotting endeavours. Um, it's not, I know it's not making you that much money, but it's definitely getting you to party. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. Party like Atspy is amazing. And it's, I always say people are like, oh, Instagram's rubbish. But to be honest with you, I was kind of spotted and, you know, uh, the, the job came through Instagram videos being liked and followed and stuff. So actually that has helped um, to put, to make Gatsby because people can see that I'm making content and creating movements and, and things. So that's that's number one is like make sure people know what you do and what you're offering if they, if people don't know they're not gonna they, they might not ask they may, may, may not even know that i'm readily available to hire to perform for them and so what so what sort of shape needs to be around an instagram so let's say you know let's say i'm a you know i've got my 20 30 000 followers i'm making videos of me doing awesome parkour what do i need to change about the way that i operate in order to um, I don't, by the way, I have, I think I have 800, maybe. I don't Instagram, you know what I'm like. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, like, what do I need to do in order to be able to catch the eye of people or be able to walk in the circles that might be able to pay me? Right. Again, this is just my take on it, my ed, my, the, what, what I, I do. And it's just understanding what service you want to offer and then mimicking that in some way. Actually, I've met with marketing specialists who have chatted about this, and the one thing that I still don't do enough of, and this is kind of this is kind of it, but it's show people my face. I don't show people my face on my Instagram very much. I don't show myself talking. I don't do vlogs. I don't do live chats like this very much. This is you know this is definitely something a bit new, and I might do more of it. But because at the end of the day, people are buying your skills as a service, but they also want to know that you're just not an idiot. So, <laughs> you know, making sure that you're, you know, because like you could have the best acrobat in the world and hire them for a performance. And if they're on tour with you for four months and they're just getting on your nerves, you'd rather not have someone as skilled, I think. And that's <laughs> why you hired Luke. What's that? And that's why you clearly hired Luke. Luke's <laughs> great to be around. Yeah, because he's, well, he's a great guy. He's a fantastic acrobat as well. Don't let him he hear is, that. Look, if, you, look if you're listening, buddy, come on, you're, you're the man. You know it, and he's got a terrific acting experience now as well. Which... Yeah, so that's uh, that's it. What it, what you just said made me really think of Luke, who began <laughs> showing his face and putting it together with his abilities. Began acting, um, and it was in really silly little things. It was um, stupid college pieces about getting injured, but it involved his face, and then he put that beside his ability to perform. And you know, it's a career for him now. Yeah, that's the way to do it. That's the way to do it. It's um, a really interesting part. Yeah, that's it. And that, that's what that's the that's the advice I would get is like or I'd give sorry is just to everyone that's listening or everyone that um that wants to do that, just find out what you what you want to sell. And and actually don't be ashamed of it, I think is a really important thing to do as well. Don't be ashamed ashamed that you are selling yourself in a way, but you're you're 
you're you're given a service, and if you can work out what that is, what that's going to trade for trade have value for, then that's that's really important. So knowing your knowing your value, I know that we're talking about values, but even just knowing your value, how much do you cost? How much does one mm-hmm. of your jokes cost? Have you ever think? Have you ever thought about it? How much did, does someone looking at you cost? Um, your your conversation, how, how like that that sort of thing. If if you think about it, you don't have to sell. You something. know, I'm not paying you for this, right? I know, right? <laughs> this one's for free, everybody. This one's just for free. Um, yeah, this one time only. Um, but yeah, that sort of thing. So, like, how much you how much you put on a backflip? How much do you put on a kid like? Um, like children, children smiling at an event that you're at is gold for a picture mm-hmm. on Instagram if you're wanting to sell yourself as a children's entertainer because a mm-hmm. parent's going to look at that and they're going to go, they're making my, the kids happy, let's do it. I don't care what they're doing, the kids are happy, great. Um, or so, if, sorry, anyway. if I can just pause you for a second, because I think you just made a really good point. So if I was to think about what I want to do, I'd remove the word parkour from it. So say I want to use parkour to entertain kids. And then I go and Google children's entertainer and I see what comes up mm-hmm. and I then mimic that with a backflip. I've yep. probably got a pretty solid start to a career, don't I? Amazing. That's yeah, that's really, I mean, it's clever. I'm going to go away and do that right now, by the way. I'm going to, I'm logging off now. I'm going to go <laughs> get the entertainers, guys. Tell your mom, tell your family, tell your postman. Yeah, let's do it. We're, we're going to get, we're going to get that happening. But yeah, that, that's what I would suggest. Um, cool. And just many people over the years have kind of taught me that. Um, just loads of loads of different um, loads of different people that have said something along those lines of know your value, know your service. What do you have to offer? Uh, and it, you know, there's there's massive problems of people not knowing their value, uh, mm-hmm. and it's it's then what kind of just it really does affect the performance industry a little bit because people think that you shouldn't pay someone for their time, and actually your time is worth. A lot. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, obviously, the more experience you get in it, the better you get at it. But one of the issues is that um, young people moving into the industry often severely undervalue what they do. And then mm-hmm. more experienced people end up resenting the new talent coming in and hiring yeah. at a half price. And then they yeah. artificially deflate the value of the industry. Absolutely. Uh, and it's why the p- people now. If we talk, kind of use parkour uh, as as a base, but we talk about circus and the way that it's adapting and changing um, compared to traditional circus, which I've heard all sorts of stories. People seem to say the same thing. The traditional big top tent circus is just, it's suffering purely because of, you know, inflation of prices and they can't quite get the crowds in anymore. It's not really as, as big as it used to be. In fact, it's definitely not as big as it used to be people are getting a bit desensitized to these kinds of movements and it's now moving into more of a physical theater storytelling side of things like i see the modern day and again this is just all my opinion but mm-hmm. i see the modern day circus professionals as more storytellers now because you know the backflip just isn't giving you the same wow anymore uh, i remember the first trip the first trip i did to london to do parkour i went to the south bank and I did a backflip onto the sand just because it was the cliche, cool thing to do. And just people were stopping and like cheating for that sort of thing. They were like, they were going off their head. And it was an amazing feeling because it was like, oh wow, you know, this is this is amazing. 
And now you go back to the same spot and you do the same thing. You're not going to get high. I mean, you might get some looks, but it's, it's totally changed. You'll get a kid asking you if you can back 360 or if you can double back. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, exactly. People are chucking doubles and triples and double con gainers and oh, off of that same spot. Just I'm just like, where's it going to end? Like, how can you? I don't know. Um, can I pull you now away from this discussion a bit of the industry because I sure. do want to have a slightly deeper discussion with you um, mm-hmm. because one of the things I'm really interested in exploring right now is uh, parkour as a value-led practice yes um, which in this case what I mean is parkour being quite poorly defined as a discipline um, leaves us an interesting place where actually how we are how we are fulfilled and what fulfills us often informs our movement practice. So people who are interested in healthy living develop parkour practices built around longevity. People interested in performance build movement practices around performance and um, showmanship. And so our values sort of um, inform our discipline rather than more a lot of traditional sports like rugby, where there's a set of values associated with rugby, being part of a team, uh, going hard, you know, enjoying yourself there is more structure there because we have so little of it. I think that we're a very interesting sport to think about in terms of meeting our fundamental needs in terms of our values. So within this framework, I'm interested in your story for a number of reasons. Uh, One is that you seem to have such a variety of different interconnected practices. We've mostly talked about you as a circus performer um, and a little bit about as as a parkour content producer, but you're also obviously a parkour coach. Yeah. Um, and you're also, you know, I think it's fair to say you're an artist. Um, so when you think about your values and what drives you, because obviously this is quite a splintered approach to doing an awful lot of things, is one of your values variety and balance? I know that we've, we did this, we did a values exercise two-ish years ago mm-hmm. and um I think your main value was progress. Yeah. Progression. I do remember that little uh, exercise. Um, what sort of, what, what values fulfill and drive you as a person? Progress, yeah. I mean, that was a good one. I wasn't really immediately going, jumping to that, but I suppose that's, that is a big, yeah, a big part of my, my value system. Uh, I think I've got an innate characteristic of spreading myself thin across lots of it it doesn't even it's not even just the disciplines it's more like friends and what I, what I tend to how I tend to spend my time you know I just I jump around and do lots of different things um maybe that's a short attention span I don't know <laughs> um but yeah I do I like I like the variety and I think it definitely benefits my my practice at the moment I've actually I passed my, my animal flow level and level one instructor course recently as well so i'm now even going into that world and that's just another thing um among others other things that i've I've been teaching and i just find it's very very useful quite closely related to the parkour teachings in terms of it's about being strong and mobile and um, yeah it's kind of almost a prehabilitation training yeah in in itself you know to a certain degree um it's it's very similar to a degree to which i think it was probably quite cleverly inspired by some of the yamak stuff yeah yeah 100 yeah and it's all it's like creativity is just someone else's idea recycled right and they've done Mm -hmm. that a lot quite a lot with 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 the animal flow instructor thing 
Um, but you know, it's just a, it's another thing. You know. So you like to do an awful lot of different things, um, mm-hmm. and as a result of that, as a result of the fact that you do a lot of different things, um, you're not much of a specialist. No. Um, but it kind of places you in a rather interesting place because you sit therefore at the edge of a lot of different communities. I mean, you talk about yourself as a parkour practitioner, but you do take a step out and you talk about yourself as a surface performer, but you do take a step out. Um, What drives you to sit at those boundaries? Uh, Is it something that you do purposefully? Um, I don't know if it's, I'm trying to put my finger on it since uh, you suggested suggested we would talk about something like this. I don't know if it's wanting to get too deep into something that then the passion dissolves and I kind of lose love for it. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's the 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 desire to keep my passion alive. I think that's at the heart of it. Uh, so you know, train something but not to exhaustion, and then I'll move to the next thing. But I do want them all to interconnect. I want them to to help each other out. So. Trampolining for aerial awareness and acrobatics is great. But if I get sick of that, I go and do some acrobatics. And if I get sick of that, I'll specialise and go into handstand training. And then from there, I'll be like, oh, I've not done parkour in a while. And I'll go and do that. And it, it does, it, it, it makes me that person who's not always 100% committed to that thing. So it means mm-hmm. that I'm not always out every Saturday in Glasgow training parkour. Because that is, at that time, it just might not be what I'm doing. <laughs> Uh, or where my focus is so it does it, it kind of happens by just naturally that I end up at the edge of all these because I kind of don't stick in it but I'll come back to it I'll refresh it, it's, it I, I kind of go through stages where I'll do one thing a lot and then I'll be like okay enough and I'll do something else um, and I think it's important as well gymnastics was the first experience I had with like acrobatics really and there's a there's a lot of gymnasts that burn out at an early age they absolutely love it they love this love the sport love the discipline and then at some point they just go I've had enough too much too much training it's too intense Uh, I don't enjoy performing anymore this this and the next thing you know and then they might just completely just drop it and Mm -hmm. I know lots of gymnasts that used to be gymnasts and they've just not been back since um but for me I jump in and out like I've been part of like maybe six or seven different clubs <laughs> because I get to a certain stage and then I go bye sorry <laughs> I'm done <laughs> been to three three trampolining clubs as well like just I get to a certain point and that's it and it, it does when we're talking about this but it can be quite lonely because then you, you don't feel like you're really a part of that group mm-hmm. um, you don't feel like you've got that oh when we talk about this sort of culture you don't feel like you're maybe included in the culture um which is where the loneliness comes in i think uh, yeah from that it's like you you've got like you kind of and some people will define themselves by the culture as well um i wrote a, an i wrote an article of, a while ago about who is circus sam and what happens if circus isn't sam <laughs> uh, it was quite weird and, and but you know it's like who am i without the discipline that defines me um and then that's when you really start getting quite deep that's maybe a different podcast no no it's it's a good point um so a couple of things stand out there one is um and i think it is something that 
um, don't let me talk for you, but uh, you seem you seem to present as someone who is quite internally driven, and people who tend to put themselves at the center of tribes and definitions tend to be people who are a little bit more community driven, either a need to surround themselves with people or a desire to create spaces of like-minded individuals, mm. whereas you seem to be hopping between them, yeah. which puts you in an interesting place, because I think it allows you to be able to competently comment on the pros and cons of different groups. Yeah. So if I was to, for instance, ask you to tell me a little bit about your coaching work and being in the world of coaching and what it gives you and what it lacks for you, you could probably give me an answer. I'd love to know, like, so obviously, obviously you do, you, you coach, um, you coach parkour, you coach handstands and a few other things. Yeah. Um, how, how does that fulfill you? I know that it pays you, which must be nice, but also what is it lacking for, for you? What does it lack? Hmm. Interesting. Um, have a think about this. I mean, purely because I have been involved in different, types of coaching in my mind they tend to have different goals and results so you know when when you do gymnastics for example your goal or your result is to compete to win that competition um I, I actually yeah exactly something that i actually didn't really enjoy that much in the end um then you know you've got a, a, a private client they want to get fair that's their goal that's their their thing um, or, you know, you go into a community project and what is your idea? What is your, your motivation there? Well, it's a community project, bring people together. Um, and I like the bringing people together one, um, probably the most, it fulfills me the most, I think, um, bringing just individuals together. Actually, when I set a class, I have, I have some set rules and actually let's, not get too much into COVID-19 but to be honest with you they 30% of my classes used to be like person-to-person -person interaction close fairly close quarters and that comes from this the circus thing of you know like standing on each other and hand balancing with each other and moving around in terms of yeah hand-to-hand -hand, exactly um, so that was a massive part of it and that was really fulfilling like if you can come to a class and you go away without learning anything in the class but you made a friend that's still a win for me that's, yeah, and the most important thing is they'll come back and they'll eventually learn something. Yeah, yeah, that's this is it. Um, so it changes. I think changes from discipline to discipline what your goal is. Um, and I'm still learning. Like you have incredible people on this podcast. Like you, you know, so many amazing coaches. Uh, you know, it's and I'm so sorry that I've not made it to one of the art retreats because it just it would be right up my street. I mean, to um, be honest with you, Sam, I mostly spend my time making fun of all these people, but uh, <laughs> they they, see, they 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 seem to be okay with it. They all just enjoy it. Yeah, you just put up with it, huh? <laughs> put up with me. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. I think it's very important to um, surround yourself with interesting people and always be progressing. But that's so much a story of what you seem to be interested in, um, and. Um, if I can then pivot you towards the world of performance, mm -hmm. um, what aspects of it are fulfilling to you and what are you trying to achieve with that? And then what, why is it not your only thing? Why do you spend time on these other bits and pieces? What's missing from that? Uh, that's changed over the years. That's definitely changed over the years. It's changed with 
grown grown out of certain bad habits with performing, which was it was mainly for me. It was like mainly the the, the I used to be the biggest show off in the world, and I actually to look back on that self, I would be like, "You twat, <laughs> you're such an idiot!" Like, stop it, really, genuinely stop it. Um, it's just not a nice. This is I don't know. There's just not a nice energy around about it. So it used to just be, it used to be for me. I had a move. I had a trick. I want to show it. Hey, I can do it. Uh, but that's then performance has has taught me that that energy is just not liked at all, really either. Um, it's much better if you do perform for other people to make them smile and to make them happy. And re recent content creation has been amazingly eye opening having people that I've known very well that would come, come to me and go, oh, I've been watching your YouTube or your Instagram chat, uh, videos and you're really inspiring me to, to, to move or to do stuff. People that don't even do parkour or anything. Uh, and that kind of gets me, it gets me right here. It's like, oh, I, I have no idea I had that impact. Um, but it makes me happy that I have that impact. Um, and when, when people have spoke to me like that, it's made me want to do more of that to yeah, to inspire and to make people smile. If it makes you, if if one of my videos makes someone smile, then hey, nice. I I enjoyed the Tekken one. I thought it was great. I like a lot of people did, right? So yeah, no, I was like, I've peaked too soon. I was one too often. <laughs> I peaked far too soon. Uh, yeah, I wanted to do some more. I really enjoyed doing it, and people liked it, which is good to put a smile on people's face. And that was the only point of it. wasn't trying to sell anything. wasn't trying to show off any moves at all kind of was in a, in a way but that wasn't the main focus but it does kind of again build that profile of like you definitely you can do the content creation and it works for you and you seem to get it which i really appreciate because i think that in itself is a skill mm. um but probably that that aspect of what you do is probably the most ephemeral and hardest to pin down aspect of what you do but probably as a result the most interesting to try and get you to say something about because, of course, you are a great inventor and innovator. I mean, you could call it art if you want. You can call it invention. Um, probably the best example is Yukemi, the card game, which, yeah. of course, the boys had a huge part in. But oh, yeah, I, yeah. Remem I remember you showing it to us for the first time. I yeah. yeah. Um, it was your idea. So where do all these ideas come from? What, what well, pushes you to innovate like that? This is one that I held on to uh, earlier on, which it's it kind of it kind of links like the loneliness of not feeling like I'm a part of anything led in a way to Yukemi. It was me practicing myself, training, you know, get the violins out, right? Training parkour myself with that, you know, no one to do it with me. So I got a set of cards and I started back, like you know, hitting down, like writing stuff on them and dealing them out in front of me and then I made my own training program just with a set of cards and the cards started as just a deck I started to, to develop it a little bit and then uh, Mr David Banks of course you know what he's like wonderful human being uh he was like Sam this is genius why don't we do something with it and I'm one of these people who's like I love the start of a project and I'll be like cool but then after that I'm just like what am I doing so David I think if there was a real life Scottish only fools and horses it might actually be David Banks <laughs> he is he, he is a little a bit of a Dell boy yeah he's amazing he is amazing yeah no this this time next year we will be millionaires if he uh that's what he said last year <laughs> hey we can push it you can we can grow we'll see but yeah 
so that 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 was kind of it it was all stemmed from that so you, and and then we just went ahead with it and developed it and i think it was something new and it was something that had not been seen before um which is great um uh, been doing that with a few various projects um you is amazing i love you to bits and the the I, I still play it now and I still come up with different combinations uh, of the cards um, that I've not done before. And that's that's there then being like, here's your parkour moves. And now here's your, you know, if you, you have played the game before, here's your, your influences. Now let's put them together and let's make something of it. Um, so, you know, great choreography and, and content designing tool as well. Yeah. That's why I like it. Um, so do you want to tell me about some of your other projects? Because obviously there's the handstand challenge and then the world map. So as I said earlier, there's, there's the annual thing, which is usually my community-led handstand challenge. And if we go back to the first one, a uh, really close friend of mine, uh, Katrina Yoga. Uh, Katrina, hello, if you're listening and watching. Um, we came from different worlds. Again, she was a yoga teacher, uh, circus professional or parkour acrobat whatever you want to call me and we were saying well what can what what is the common denominator there what links yoga and acrobatics and parkour the handstand it's in both things and then we, we started to find that the handstand was in a lot more it was in breakdance it was in a lot of other dance disciplines it was in gymnastics and parkour athletes tend to do it so you know and yoga yoga people treat yoga athletes and um, coaches train it so we put that together and we were like okay so hopefully this will draw different people together if we um, if we do it so we did 100 days of handstands and we've done like post a picture up and make a community page and build that community so we did that three times and um, with a different kind of theme in mind I then did a, a monthly month-long one which was a, an alphabet challenge which is like hand balance on something beginning with a b c d e f g and it was amazing we had someone did a handstand on a particle accelerator. I don't think that's even legal, but you know, it happened. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, that leads to the new one, which is the handstand map, which is the new one, which is um, trying to map the world in a handstand. So trying to put handstand photos from people's travels and adventures and pin it to a live map that you can go on and you can have a look through. Um, and that's the new one that's it's doing really well and within the first week i've got so many people really interested in it and, and pinning them up i think it's got a th it's not many views maybe we can link to that at some point but it's a thousand views maybe and we have covered a lot of the map there's no one on antarctica yet though yeah we gotta get to those antarctic types we do I mean, so that, that like you were saying earlier, it's kind of like art. I think it, it, the idea itself started as something fun, right? It was fun to do. You've got an old handstand picture of you oh. doing a handstand on a mountain somewhere. Beautiful. Stick it on the map. There you go. Amazing. Really fun. You can revisit that, that part, part of the world in your mind, and then you can have a wee look and see what other people have done theirs. Uh, and that was just it. That was the point. Fun, bringing people together. But now it's got so big, I think, it is a bit of an art piece because there's a lot of people that have contributed towards this map that you can now ping around about it. We've got like one Mount Vesuvius, we've got one in Reunion Island in Madagascar, we've got one, you know, everywhere from beaches on Mexico to temples in Taiwan. It's it's really cool. Really, really. So you keep connecting, it's kind of interesting, you keep connecting 
art with fun and sort of like starting entrance something which is intrinsically motivated and then taking it to um just taking it it just takes off it's like a great fun idea something you really want to do and then you just put the effort in and it becomes a thing um do you do that purposefully like is that a conscious decision hey what i'm going to do is i'm going to create things that i find fun and then try and give them to the world or is that and how does that relate to your professional work? So is what, I, what I'm trying to understand is. Do you charge, um, by, the, do you charge by the hour for these like uh, consultations well, of my psyche? <laughs> no, no, what I'm, try, what I'm trying to understand well, is yeah. um, clearly what motivates you is creating these cool, crazy, fun things. What motivates yeah. you is having fun and progressing yeah. and making something go a step further. Yeah. um but uh how, how does how do you take that drive and apply it to your professional work such that you've turned your what is clearly passion like you're probably more passionate about this, this than i am and i'm crazy passionate about everything i do um into this um you know money making side of your life um yeah i think I, I i think it's completely surrounded by that one if you you know you kind of put the nail you know hit the nail on the head the fun surrounds it and it's just talking about everything that we're talking about like fun for me if i'm not having fun in it i need to reevaluate like what i'm doing um so yeah i do start with fun in the at the start of most of the projects you're not going to get a project every single time that's going to be fun uh different parts of it can be fun but it always changes so whether or not you know creating the piece for you is fun because you're like oh there i've now made a story and it's really lovely it's like painting a picture like you're saying like like an artist you've oh you've made, you've choreographed something good that was the fun part and then maybe the performing of it isn't fun at all because it like that uh circus tour with a big massive set 45 minutes of smashing your your muscles and then having to take the whole set down that wasn't fun sometimes <laughs> um but yeah there was different so there's different parts of it so you kind of have to there is a moment where you have to work through some stuff that you're like okay i can accept that this isn't going to be easy this isn't going to going to be fun um especially with like it's the same with ukemi the reason i didn't start it was because i know that the making of the cards and the publicizing it and all the discord chats and all the all that marketing stuff is not going to be fun for me so i, I that, that then sort of put me on the back seat it was like it made me not start the project but i had other people that that th i'm very thankful for them getting involved and um yeah they're amazing for what they've done with it and so that leads on to a really good point which is um something that you're clearly quite good at which is running yourself with people who are able to make up for your shortfalls yeah I would say that collaboration definitely one of those values that uh, we're talking about. Collaboration is really important. You like I started as a lone parkour athlete, and I just wouldn't have got the opportunities if I didn't sort of take myself out of that a little bit. Um, I remember travelling all up and down all the UK to trying to like find these people and source these people. Used to, I used to be very very in the parkour community, like. In 2006, I travelled to Liverpool, Manchester, London, and this was all when I was 
16, 15, 16, just got a bus ticket and went, right, I'm going to go to these places and meet these people. Um, but you'll probably, you'll understand that as well. It's, it's, it's absolutely key. Um, yeah, obviously I, for I, me, I, it's a very different conversation. Yeah. Um, and definitely influenced by that idea of uh, surround yourself with surround yourself with people and you become more like those people uh, and yeah. understand what you're good at and do that thing and then have other people around you. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely influenced by all those things. But I'm also, I think, we're, we're quite similar in terms of I like being good at everything. And so I tend to just pick up things that I'm not good at yet and then just work at them until I am. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. The uh, I was I was thinking there about who you surround yourself with, and that reminds me of a TED talk that uh, I saw recently about um, body language and tr trying to be trying to come across as the good guy because everybody in their mind, as soon as they meet you, are trained to be indifferent to you. Um, it was a really good TED talk. I'll I'll drop it. I'll drop it to you if I can find it again. Um, but basically, you've got to come across it, as the good guy. Well, he says that there's, yeah, kind of, kind of. I mean, within the first 10 minutes of meeting someone, that's your important moment to change them from indifferent to good guy. Uh, and sometimes you can give off vibes that will immediately make someone the bad guy. Um, the TED Talk's really interesting. It's about how even if you don't have the evidence supporting that this person is the good guy, that your brain and your psychology will actually make up stories about them being the good guy based on stuff that you don't even know yet. So if you can be in the good guy category, people start to like be like, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's good. And oh yeah, he does all this and whatever. Um, even if they don't have the evidence to do it, it's just a weird, weird thing. I there's a lot of, there's a lot of work around um, how people build tribes and how people do, they, they, they put you into an in or an out group within their head. That's what you're talking about. A good yeah. guy is a wonderful way to visualize it. I tend to talk about it in terms of whether or not people, so that, well, there's a few things there's, whether or, not, whether or not people think you have social capital, there's whether or not people think that you are doing good, and there's whether or not people talk about you as being one of us or one of them. So there's a few, there's, it's, it's yeah. quite complicated. Um, yeah. So what we're, what we're saying about the surrounding yourself by the people that can catch your shortfalls, but maybe it's as well as that, an extension of that, is surround yourself with people that value you. And if they have, if they if they know that you if they know your value, then they're very useful to keep around. But, but, and as well as because they'll fight your battles in certain corners. And we talked about kind of how to become um, a professional performer, and a lot of that is nitty gritty tack, like brass tack stuff. Like how much are you going to pay me, and how much can how much is my time? And if you've got someone setting up that for you, and they have a tremendous um, value uh, for you, then you know that they're going to do that more easily. I think mm -hmm. as well. Um, One of the important parts of that is remembering and realizing that everyone thinks that they're the hero of their story, and everyone thinks that they're the good guy. Yeah. And so you can't just rely on that thought process to, to drive you because there's the same thought process that everyone else has. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what is your USP? What is your unique selling? point what's, what's my unique selling point <laughs> well what's well yeah what, what makes you different why should people invest in sam rather than you know the next one whoever yeah. that might be 
Well, that's it, and that's 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 again why fun and involvement and all these good things are now at the new drive for what I do because it's it, again it's harder to argue that it's not all it's not for me anymore. It's not like hundred percent for me anymore. And I, it's weird. I'm it's weird hearing myself say that, but it is like when I'm meeting someone to try and coach them, I, I want what what they want. Like I want them to always their success in this class teaching is mine as well. Yeah. So it's like it is for me, but it's in a recycled way. I suppose it's kind of like I don't know karma if you help someone out in the street and feel really good, but you've you know I don't know spent your own time. It makes you feel good. Um, I think that's that's it, but I'm unsure. No, it's it's definitely true. And another part of what you're talking about um, is just making it really easy to work with someone. This is mm. one of the things that um, I instill into my coaches a lot, which is, and uh, it came up because uh, we we were working for a client for a performance gig, and the client just like they just fucked up like they did such a bad job uh it was entirely their fault they weren't prepared they did a whole bunch of things that made the whole performance go really badly for us mm. and my coaches weren't very nice about it but they were a big client and they didn't contact us next year mm. and i kind of like i had to walk them through a post-mortem of it and explain to them yes they did bad but then you made yourselves hard to work with. Mm. Um, so you didn't get that money next year. But if you are always pleasant to work with, if you are always easy to work with, then if it's a fun experience to have you on set, if yeah. uh, you um, are someone that they want to go to, well, then you're going to actually, it's going to work for you. Yeah. Um, and learning that skill, I think, is an important part of being a professional. Oh, yeah. 100%. And again, this is the, the, the thing that I used to think was that my effectiveness and my ability to be a good performer was just based on being able to do that back full or that gainer full or that round off, whatever it is, but not really. <clears throat> it's more, you know, showing up on time, uh, not letting your ideas affect the ideas of the people that are trying to run the event as well. That's a, a, a very important thing is you know you can show up with an idea of like, i'm going to be a performer and i'm going to do this i'm going to do that and then the company turned around and they say to you actually no i want you to do this in this corner and, and that's all you're going to do and that's going to benefit us more than by you doing all these somersaults everywhere and that's quite hard because uh, sometimes you are invested in like what you're saying that like you've got this big encyclopedia of moves and they don't really want to utilize it but in some way you have to realize that 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 their event or their thing is the important thing. Uh, not it's not you, <laughs> you know. Like the like for the example, the Mercedes Benz thing. You've got to go right. Well, what are they trying to do? Trying to sell cars. What are they trying to sell? Why are they trying to sell it? Here's here's your their slogan. They're working with. Ah, right. Okay, I see it. Slogans. It keeps you moving. So we're just gonna go out and we're gonna move a heck of a lot. And then you know show the car in that way so that sort of thing that's that's very important um, in my mind and you have to be comfortable with that yeah like if you want to go and perform you're going to have to get comfortable with the fact that you're not there to represent your discipline in fact you're there to sell a car you're there to make an evening amazing you're there to 
get people to buy the product that you are holding in your hand. Um, yeah. and, and not everyone's com comfortable with that, which comes back to that previous point about like how to get more money into parkour. But you could, and you could, that's what selling out is, being comfortable letting someone else lead the narrative. And I don't think it's intrinsically good or bad. It's just a statement of what it is, what it is. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, I'm not going to do it, but I don't need to do it. You probably do need to do it because it's your thing. Well, yeah, I mean, we all need to have some form of, of, of selling out. And this is what I, it, it saddens me in a little, you know, it saddens me a little because we are now trained and conditioned to attack people that sell out. And I don't know how it's managed to, to get to this stage, but they are selling a product. And if they can collaborate with another product to get the money for, using the same energy, the same amount of work, then why shouldn't they? Unless it doesn't, yeah. you know, unless it doesn't link with their morals. Like I, I was vegan for a while there. And probably you've just, I've just lost like half, half of the client base. Like, oh no, he's one of them. But like for a while, I, I tried it. Tim Sheep has actually logged on oh, just my. to be angry at you oh, to log off. That's another, <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole other podcast. Um, that's a whole other podcast. Um, but basically, um, there is moments where you have to turn something down based on your morals. Like I was given a, a mil I think it was like a dairy industry that wanted to sponsor me or wanted to do an event. And I was like, well, what kind of vegan would I be if I was backing up milk company? So I was like, no. Um, but yeah, they offered me a lot of money. I was like, so yeah. But yeah, you need to you need to make those decisions. But I think if you're going to do it, like I, I had clothing sponsors back in the day. I had like four or five when I was starting out. I didn't even, I had no need for the clothes. I had like, you know, like Trainer Spotter and Drunken Monkey and all these ones and um I'm pretty sure WFPF sent me a ton of t-shirts as well at one point. Um, I just, you know, I could start up a shop with a parkour t-shirt I've got. <laughs> hundreds of them. I don't need them. Um, but yeah. Cool. All right. Um, we're going to wrap the interview up there, Sam. It's been an absolute pleasure. No we touched on some really cool topics. But just before we finish, I want to give you a platform to talk about anything that's important to you anything that you want people to go look at after they've listened to this interview, anything that you want to, you know, sell, do you want to mention all your sponsors? Um, <laughs> all my sponsors. Um, well, since, uh, since the early days, uh, I don't have any clothing sponsors anymore. I don't have a need for them, but definitely if you're listening, check out Ukemi, get, get some, yourself some Ukemi cards. Um, that's, that's pretty much, all I can say in terms of like selling myself or uh, what I'm what I'm working with, I don't really have any other sponsors. I mean, obviously it's a hard. I suppose what I should talk about now, but you know, every, we've talked about it to death at this point. Um, but there's going to be a lot of companies struggling now to kind of come back to normality. So if you can, if anyone is listening and you want to support Aerial Edge, which is Glasgow's one of Glasgow's circus schools, um, we are looking probably looking for some support in terms of just like your interest and uh we because we obviously be trying to start some form of normality back again in terms of classes um, and we offer kind of everything circus related but there's obviously barriers and stuff that are, that are going to be um they're going to it's just going to be the way there's going to have some yeah. barriers so that's support your local artists i think that's a pretty good support your, all yeah support your local artists and you know like it's, it's going to be the same story with gyms as well 
and I don't, I don't really know. I'm desperate to get back to the gym, to be honest. I can't wait. No, the amount of training that I've missed out on is just ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, support your local artists um, and realise that there's a lot of places that were maybe just new businesses starting up as well. And when COVID come in, came in, you know, that things really got hard for them. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Sam. That's sure. a lovely, well, it's a sad note. It is a little bit of a sad note. It was a really lovely conversation, though. Um, thank you very much for inviting me on. Um, I, I very much so enjoyed it. No worries. We will end the stream there. <laughs>